so I have to do a really embarrassing opening now. Yeah. Um, Hello and welcome back to, uh, I haven't quite nailed this part, but welcome back to Repeat Until Funny, the history podcast that looks back at the past. Love it. Love it. And, um, and tries to learn the lessons of the past as well. Talking about learning lessons, special guest. Um, I learned the lesson from the first po- podcast, which was essentially you can't do a podcast on your own. <laughs> it's very hard to hold a crowd. Without sounding like an absolute mentalist. <laughs> So, um, my guest is my brother, mm. James Gorman. Hello, everyone. You um, do you want to talk about your credentials, your pedigree? Uh, a pedigree. Uh, I go to university at the second best university in Oxford, Oxford Brooks. <laughs> uh, I'm a Japanese language student. Uh, I'm just about to go into my third year of my year abroad. And uh, that's all my credentials. That's your credentials. A so you GCSEs. do and a PhD from the University of Life. Of course. Um, <laughs> what did you make? What did you doctorate in? Hard knocks. Hard knocks. Yeah. Hard knocks. It's sticking it to the man. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the PhD. That was your dissertation. Yeah, that was my dissertation. Um, but I'm sticking it to the man. So you do know a little bit about history, but you know very little about what we're going to talk about mm. today. I don't know much about because you do. A lot of modern history. I'm sort of like more early history. That's why I did in college and that. Yeah, good excuse. <laughs> um, so you're going to be very much sort of every man mm. kind of thing. The so average Joe. The average Joe. So you're going to sort of hold me to account when I say things that don't make sense or are too complicated. Yeah. yeah. Um, so today's episode is going to be focused on learning the lessons from past populist presidents. So our current, well, not our current president, but the current president of the United States is... Uh, Donald Trump. Donald Trump, controversial figure, and he's considered by many to be a populist. James, do you know what a populist is? Uh, if I had to take a guess at it, it's sort of like, uh, like one for the people. I didn't, don't the Americans have a thing about, well, as a broad, broad sweeping statement, like education is, well... Really smart presidents are intimidating. Yes, like, yeah, yeah, and we're going to vi- revisit that as we look through these candidates, actually. So populism, by its definition, um, I'm just saying this off the top of my head, and oh, you can yeah, confirm yeah. that, can't you? I James? can, there's nothing, um, there's nothing here. Populism is a style of politics used to mobilise and to some extent weaponise <laughs> mass movements against ruling powers. So in, in essence, it's a kind of us versus them attitude and you can see that with trump very much it's like fake news the media we don't like x y and z mm. you're either with us or against us kind of thing yeah drain the swamp drain the swamp oh never yeah. heard that one um the sort of leaders who do it sing from a common hymn sheet if you will um <laughs> rhetoric that stirs up anger floats conspiracy theories pushes distrust of experts promotes nationalism demonizes outsiders that is the sort of the parameters that i'm going to use to look at these different candidates so is it a bit like anti-institution yes anti-media establishment would be the word they would use so it's anti-establishment kind of thinking and populism is particularly uh prevalent in the united states any idea why you think that is? There's no definite answer. But... Why in the United States? I think because in the United States it's all about the average man building mm. themselves up. So if you're a populist president, it's like... The American dream. Yeah, the American dream. The American dream incarnate, yes. you could say. Love that. Um, <laughs> so there's some outright... Or well, there has been some outright populist political parties in the United States. So parties like the Know Nothings which we're going to talk about. Never heard of What them. a great name. They know nothing. And we're going to find out what they were called that. They were prevalent in sort of the 19th century, mid-19th century. Oh, right, You've right. got um, the Populist Party. Oh, that links. Yeah, well named. That was at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th. They called for a ban on foreign land ownership, state control of railroads, and a shorter working day. Ooh. So appealing to the sort of common man. Yeah, the average, average Joe. Um, Francis E. Lee. Oh, him. Her. Her. Embarrass yourself then. <laughs> <laughs> in 2019, um, and I've literally put Francis E. Lee, 2019, American political scientist, brackets woman, oh. just so I didn't make that very mistake, <laughs> um, argues that the US system offers much less opportunity for organised populist parties. 
So the US system makes it very different for, difficult for populist parties because mm. they've got Democrats, the Republicans, mm. and that's pretty much it. Well, it's like bi-party system, they call Yeah, they're good. Bipartisanship, yeah. Mm. Um, but it does give opportunity for populist candidates, so people to run within those parties who are very populist. And there's been some third-party individuals that have been quite successful. So there's a guy called Williams Jennings Bryan who proclaimed himself the defender of the common man and working classes. Like him already. That's a big claim. Um, <laughs> he became Secretary of State under Woodrow Wilson, but he resigned because of World War I. He was an isolationist. Oh, top call. What's an isolationist? Uh, Talk about Japan and what? James's pedigree. Oh, an isolationist in a governmental yes. point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, all I can take from what I know of Japan, Japan in isolation didn't do much foreign trade. Mm. So it's about like building up your own resources and yeah. not relying on other That nations. kind of sort of your nation first, yeah. America first when it comes to the United States. Mm. Williams Jennings Bryan was pretty popular, but his final sort of curtain call, or his fall from grace... Um, was he was involved in something called the Scopes Monkey Trial, uh-huh. nineteen twenty five, which was um, he was a pro- he was lawyer by trade, and he was prosecuting a science teacher who taught evolution, in a Tennessee public school. Okay. Um, and Jennings Bryan, uh, during the trial, sort of revealed his belief in the literal word of God and the literal word of the Bible. Okay, that's um, dangerous. Yeah, he won the case. Oh. So they oh. defeated the evolutionists. <laughs> um, Thank God. Yeah, I know. But he died five days after winning that case. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, divine intervention, you might say. Yeah, you could say that. Oh. Um, survival of the fittest. Oh, that's the other take. Um, but what we're going to look at in this episode is... Populism in the highest office, so Mm -hmm. that of the president. And we're going to look at three examples, because any more might take, you know, from now to infinity (laughs) to actually complete. We're going to look at three examples of populist presidents. And I've selected them because of their relevance towards uh, Donald Trump Mm -hmm. in terms of their comparability. Also because of the way that they fulfil some of those uh, parameters that I set out for what makes a populist president. Okay. So we're going to get, look through each and we're going to do uh, top trumps. Ooh. Yeah. Top, great top trumps. Top trumps. Um, and we're going to rank each of them and we'll do each in turn. I won't say who each on yet. We'll do it when they come up. We're going to rate them for their lack of conventional suitability for the role. Okay. Which you, means... Yeah, you're going to have to explain that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be... Pad that a little bit out. So <laughs> they're sort of their background and how that doesn't prepare them in the traditional sense for the role of mm-hmm. president. Mm-hmm. Like, what would you expect in a president? Oh, uh, like, uh, running in a previous office. Like yeah. being secretary of state. So experience of yeah. politics, definitely one. Mm-hmm. Maybe a, an education or a background in politics. Mm-hmm. Things like that. The second thing we're going to rate them on is their, how they go against the grain. How they go against grain. Or they ruffle feathers. <laughs> or both, in some case. How they... Explain that again. So, so like... that's like, if you go against the grain, like if you go against the get grain when you're stroking a dog, uh-huh. you go the wrong way. Okay. No, I know what the, the metaphors mean. I so, mean. Oh, so in like politics, yeah. um, like they do things that aren't expected. So as you said, it's all about establishment. Mm-hmm. So they go against what the establishment expects. Okay. But the, the huge establishment, not like against... The political establishment, because they could be, like you said, well, populist. a bit of both. Some some of these will go against almost everything, but some will go like how Donald Trump has gone against the political establishment. Okay, okay. or like the mainstream media being an example. He's oh, ruffled yeah. a lot of feathers there. Yeah, um, he's ruffled the feathers of the American Eagle. Oh, <laughs> just come up with and, that one. Yeah, just came up with it. Didn't even write that one down. Um, <laughs> and finally. We're going to rate them on their outrageousness slash the wild card factor. Mm-hmm. So how much of the wild card? Then? I get that one. Yeah, the, wa- the wild card, <laughs> just, it pops up everywhere. Yeah. Um, so, let's begin. First president, Andrew Jackson. Big name. Big name, Probably. Andrew Jackson. So he was the seventh president of the United States. Uh-huh. He was president between 1829 and 37. So he served two terms, okay. two four-year terms. His nickname was Old Hickory. Mm. Yeah, we're going to find out why that like is. The clock. Uh, like the clock. Hickory dickory dog. Uh, yeah. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, well, we'll that's, address that that's the kind of thing that if you were a student, I'd go, oh, that's 
<laughs> Interesting. But being a 23-year-old man. <laughs> As a 23-year-old man, I'll tell you that that's stupid. Three key events, just to give you a bit of context, a bit of background. Um, he split the Democratic Republic Party. It was before they had Democrat, Democrats and Republicans. They had the Democratic Republican Party, one big party. Oh, okay. He was responsible for splitting them in two. Okay. And he effectively forms the modern Democrat Party. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. He had a, a fracas with the National Bank, a little bit of a, an issue, issue, a little bit of the back and forth. Right. He thought it was corrupt to have the big National Bank that had all the money. Mm. He thought it was government-sponsored monopoly. Or did he just want loads of little banks? Yeah. Okay, I get that. The yeah. sort of, it's libertarian. Yeah, so a more freedom, and he's all about freedom. And he also was involved in the Trail of Tears, which was the uh, ramifications of the Indian Removal Act. I've of heard of 1830. that. 1830. Heard of that. So we'd all heard about how poorly Native Americans were treated. He was one of the sort of key, the key protagonists in that. Let's start with lack of conventional suitability for the role. He was the first US president to be born in a log cabin. Yeah, but didn't Washington build a log cabin? Uh, oh, Lincoln did. Lincoln. 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 <laughs> Lincoln was also born in a log cabin. But this is where that sort of myth comes from: the president that's built in a log cabin. All oh, right, right. Before this, like you wouldn't have the president that wasn't rich or mm. a sort of Virginia planter or part of the founding fathers. Yeah. yeah. Part of in that sort of bracket. Yeah. Um. So he grew up in poverty. His father died three weeks before he was born. At the age of thirteen, he joined a local militia. Uh-huh. And became a patriot courier. <laughs> a patriot courier. Which I assume is yeah. a like a mailman who's yeah. who carries patriot. a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and he did that with his older brother as well. However, mm. they were captured by the British oh. in uh, 1781. 1781? Is so this that, during the revolution? So 1781 was... Um, 1776 was the Declaration of Independence. Okay. So we are in the revolutionary years okay. at this point. Oh, all right. Um, and the British officer um, asked him to polish his boots. Oh, but he didn't stand for that. Oh, no. <laughs> Hickory did not stand for that. <laughs> um, he refused, and the British soldier um, slashed him with a sword across his face, Ooh. which leaves a permanent scar mm. on his face. Oh, that's that's going to work for you, though. Yeah, scar face. Yeah. Um, you know what they say, senators love scars. <laughs> senators do <don't laughs> scars. Um, his older brother dies of smallpox while they've been in captivity by the British. Mm-hmm. So his dad's dead, his brother's dead. Okay. Um, he's then released, but his mum then dies of cholera. Oof. So he's effectively orphaned. Okay. Um... He studies law under the tutorage of his uncles. Mm-hmm. He becomes very successful in law mm-hmm. and he becomes a big landowner off the back of this law practice. So he's starting to rise up in society. Taking the steps on the American dream. Exactly, yeah. yeah climbing up that ladder. Yeah. Um, he makes some sort of mild political moves, but he does it in this newly established state of Tennessee. Because mm-hmm. at this point, the United States is not all 50 states as we know it now. They're building bit by bit. So, isn't it just like the strip along the... Yeah, the original colonies. James East Coast. Just, James just did there the north, east, south, west... But it's hard. <laughs> compass out, yeah. points. Um, so, he, he makes some sort of political moves, but he makes it in this newly established Tennessee. Okay. So, it's not, re- it's not like serious stuff it's yeah, like you've it's, started from it's like you're you're the expert in your own language like <laughs> i've written a book but it's in my own language yeah, kind yeah. of stuff um how did that book go oh it's brilliant <laughs> page turner <laughs> he so there's sort of mild stuff he becomes um a representative in the house of reps he's a senator for eight months but he resigns but his big moment is as a military leader mm. in the british war of 1812. So the British are still... They haven't given up on America at this right. point. Well, is that the one where they were in Canada? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they uh, destroyed the White House at yeah. one point. And oh, they set man, fire yeah. to the White House, yeah. yeah. He particularly made his name at a specific battle, the Battle of New Orleans, where he led 5,000 soldiers against a British force of 10,000 okay. and whooped their asses. Whooped their asses. And he's a national... Strung them up by their bootstraps. Yeah, exactly. The very bootstraps that he'd been asked to clean. Love that. <laughs> And I'd like to think in the film that he actually came face to face with that guy. Yeah. 
and then made him clean his boots. And they, yeah, exactly. Or, they or didn't. didn't. He said, we yeah. don't do that in America. Yeah, moving along. Yeah. He's a national hero after this. He's given Congress gold medal, um, and he's nicknamed Old Hickory because his troops describe him as tough as Old Hickory would. Oh, okay. So Hickory isn't okay. tough, kind of would. So because of that, he's a rising political star, and in 1822, he's nominated for the presidency of the United States. Okay. So that's his sort of suitability for the role in many senses. I'll add one thing that we, we will come to in another point, mm. which is that he's a big jeweller. What's a jeweler? jeweler, not as in like selling jewels. Oh, okay. Jeweler. Just recently, uncut gems. So, <laughs> so, in comparison so, to Adam Sandler. Jeweler in the sense that he likes to jewel, yeah. like over honour. Yeah, yeah, with the glove in the hand and you smack him. Pistols yeah. drawn and that kind of stuff. And he's, he gets, he does get into a duel before he becomes president. He gets shot. So he allows the opponent to fire first. Mm-hmm. Gets shot. And then he shoots back and kills the opponent. Oh, okay. And it misses his heart by such a small amount that they never removed it from him. So he died with a bullet in him. Okay. If we're talking about lack of conventional suitability for the role, his qualifications out of 10. I mean, it's difficult to quantify that, Mm. isn't it, in many ways? Well, because didn't a lot of the early presidents, like in that that terms, they qualified because they were military leaders. Mm. So that's quite a big step. Because... I doubt he would have got the presidency if he wasn't a military No, leader. definitely not. But I suppose in the sense what I would draw you to in terms of him not being normal is that this incredible poverty... Mm, the poverty is the main... The, orphan, the and also not being one of those original founding fathers or framers of the mm. Constitution. I think I'd probably give him... Out of ten, by the way. Maybe a, a four. Let's give him a four out of ten. Mm. Wait, is that four as in, like... 10 out of 10 being really suitable. Yeah. I'm saying he's... Okay, let's do it. Let's do it how unsuitable then. How unsuitable yeah. he is. Uh, well, six would make sense. Six, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so six out of 10. We can review this at the end. Mm. 1822, he was nominated for presidency of the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And as we know, it was the Democratic Republican Party that he was on the ticket for. Yeah. So he runs in 1824. He wins the popular vote... But he doesn't win the Electoral College. What does that mean? Now, this is really confusing. Yeah. So, the Electoral College is like each state holds a different number of votes. Or, like, how much weight it gives to the presidency. So, to massively oversimplify it, let's say there's ten states. Yeah. Uh, Let's say one of those states is really big. So, let's call it, and we'll use modern states, let's say Texas is really big. Yeah. Whereas somewhere like Rhode Island is really small. Okay. So Texas would get, like, five in the... Electoral college, whereas um, Rhode Island would get one or something yeah. like that. Okay, I got so that. what it means is that a president can win without gaining the popular vote. Yeah, without getting all of the little... Without getting more people yeah. in the country's vote for them than against them. Yeah. Because of the weighting given to each state, which is exactly what happened to Hillary Clinton. Mm. She won the popular vote, but she didn't win the electoral college. But in this scenario, no one actually won the Electoral College. It was an absolute split. Oh, wow. So it had to be decided by the Speaker of the House. A duel. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A fight to the death. And um, the Speaker of the House called Henry Clay, who had come fourth in the election, so a bit of a loser. Yeah, that's that's not Um, right. He pledges his support straight away to Jackson's rival. Oh, okay. John Quincy Adams. I've heard of him. Mm. Um. And Adams wins, uh-huh. and as soon as he wins, he appoints Henry Clay as Secretary of State. Uh, now, Jackson suspicious. is fuming, <laughs> and he calls this a corrupt bargain. Okay. And this is where he starts this sort of, to ride this wave of discontent mm. against the establishment. I can see that. Because he's saying that, you know, it's corrupt. Yeah, fat cats scratching each other's backs. Exactly, yeah. that kind of stuff. And coughing up furballs onto the electorate. Oh, of course. Um... Using the public as a litter box. It's all there. <laughs> it's all, yeah. We, so he seeks the nomination for the next election. So he's mm. not going to win it this time, but he might be able to run again in 28. Okay. He seeks it, but in doing so, he splits the Democratic-Republican Party. How do you do that? Because some of them are like, well, you're going way too far here, 
and right. some like they're saying we want we actually agree with that decision. Oh, so it's not like he's he's just cut them in half saying let's split it up. No, no. Like, half of them are going like this is way too far, and the other half are going like yeah, spot on. The same way that multiple political leaders have split their party. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tony Blair split the party. Or Corbyn or something. Yeah, yeah Corbyn's a really good example. Yeah, mm. supporters call him old hickory, mm-hmm. and oh. and they become the Democrats. His enemies and the people who don't agree with him call him jackass. Oh. Which is pretty good for... Yeah. But what he does, like all great political leaders should do, is he turns that into a strength. Mm. He says he likes that. Is that where the donkey comes from? Yeah. Oh. Fun fact. Clever. So he says, um, yeah, I like being called jackass, actually. In fact, our party emblem is going to be a donkey. <laughs> Switched it. So he, he wins in 1828 and he becomes the first frontier president in the sense that he grew up on the frontier the final frontier being the bit just before america so, ends sort of a bit like the original west you know yeah 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 he's so he's the first to live outside of either massachusetts or virginia so mm-hmm. really going against the establishment mm-hmm. and he's also the first president to invite the public to attend the inauguration ball at the white house this big party is that, is that just like the well done, you won. It's not the speech, it's like a party. Oh, okay. Like, in the White House. Yeah. And he says, basically, anyone can come. That's going to go down well. Yeah. Um, so the crowd that arrived was so large um, that they, like, destroyed the furniture and dishes were broken. <laughs> basically, and he had to escape out of the window. Okay. Because it just got too busy. And it earned him another nickname, which was King Mob. King Mob. Oh, because it's like better. mob rule. Yeah. In another one of firsts, he was the first president to wield the veto power. Have you heard of that before? A little bit. It's, it's like um, if people are voting for something, if you have the power to veto, you can say, no, I'm blocking that. It's for the best yeah. people. So a president has the power, if they wish, to block what Congress, mm-hmm. who are like the main political body, like the Houses of Parliament, mm-hmm. they have the power to block or veto things that they had passed, legislation that they want to get done. Mm. And before this, presidents had only used it for bills that they thought were unconstitutional, that went okay. against the Constitution. But Jackson sets a new precedent by saying, I'm going to do it for political purposes as well, and principle, in the sense I'm going to do it just because I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, okay. okay. It's a bit like Empress of Rome sort of thing. Yeah. And I, he... I have the people's best interest in mind. And that's... Like, I've been voted in by it. Funny you say that, because he's considered to be the people's president. Oh, Another nickname. How many uh, nicknames has this guy got? A lot of nicknames. <laughs> uh, because he campaigns against this sort of old, uh, sickly, yeah. sludgy power. That's... Cobwebs. Yeah, the cobwebs. He's Cobweb blowing away cobwebs. the cobwebs of government. And in doing that, he replaces all the people that are in government all of the cobwebbed masses, mm. he replaces them with, like, his own supporters. Okay. And he popularised the saying, to the victor go the spoils. Mm, I like that one. Yeah. Um, and this is called the spoils system, yeah. which in many ways is even more corrupt because you just appoint people who like you and yeah. appeal to you. Well, I was going to say, that's similar to what... I'm going to call him Henry. I don't remember his name. The first guy that he ran... Clay. Clay, yeah. Well, yeah, it's similar to what Henry Clay how Henry Clay got power under John Quincy Adams. Yeah. But this time it's for his supporters, yeah. which Makes seems fun. The National Bank stuff, he opposes a National Bank, so he opposes um, any form of big bank to use all of the people's money because he thinks it could be corrupt. Mm-hmm. Yet, he actually appears on the American $20 bill to this oh, day, okay. wow. issued by the American bank. So that could go to the wild card factor. Yeah, I that's think, I think could put that in the back pocket. Another first, first USA presidential assassination attempt. Oh. Tried to assassinate someone. Or was it like... A duel. A duel. (laughs) No, it was in January 1835, and it was a deranged house painter called Richard Lawrence, and he believed that he was the rightful King of England. Well, he's got his head screwed on. (laughs) Yeah. um, He points a single-shot gold pistol at the president. Gold? Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe he painted it gold. (laughs) Um, When it failed to shoot, he fired it, failed to shoot, he pulled out a second pistol, Mm. and that also misfired. Was it silver? (laughs) And he was just reaching for the bronze pistol (laughs) when, what do you think Jackson did? Uh, Did he shoot him back with his own pistol? No, he charged at him and hammered him with his cane, which is made of hickory. 
and they did some analysis on both pistols, and both pistols were fully functioning. It was just pure luck that they didn't fire. Oh, okay. Trail of Tears, which I mentioned, pretty terrible. The Indian removal act of eighteen thirty basically forced relocation of uh, all the Native American tribes. Uh, so, fifteen thousand Cherokee, Cherokee Indians, about four thousand dying of starvation, exposure, illness. Um, not really very nice. Can, that, I, can I just ask one question? Yeah, 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 of course. So, with the um, with the removal of the um, uh, Native Americans, yeah, and like pushing them into others, was that seen by like the American people as like? This is great, we're getting more land, or was it like a bit dodgy? Like, That's a really good question. Um, they had an idea of something called Manifest Destiny, uh-huh. which was based like um, Americans are God's own people. Yeah, they had it in China as well. Did they? Yeah, it's, it's like, because um, you're the most important people and you're the one that uplift everything, mm. you have to, can't make an omelette without cracking a couple of eggs. Yeah. <laughs> can't make an omelette without removing X million people yeah, from, from their homes. <laughs> The don't the chi- the Chinese of the mandate from heaven isn't it? They yeah, the have the mandate from heaven, from heaven. Mm. and it's a similar thing. So Americans are largely, if not supportive of it, they're willing to cut, to sort of cast a blind eye over it because it has they to need be to. Ex- it has yeah. to be done. We mm. are expanding, and pe- like philosophers like John Locke were saying things like they can't own this property because they aren't actually doing anything with it. Yeah. In order to own property, you have to actually do add value to it yeah yeah you have to build on it yeah but we have during this time it's all the stuff of things like they trade like a bead for yeah. six million what, what were like the louisiana purchase, purchase. yeah well the louisiana purchase they purchased it from the french was it because the french claims have that territory yeah oh i thought it was um native american well the native americans were all there but throughout all of this and this is the real contradiction is that because Native Americans didn't have a conception of private property oh. in the sense that they thought that people worked in tandem with nature yeah, yeah. rather than... So they, they didn't draw the line. No. So, so when, the, when the Americans were saying, can we have this territory, the Native Americans were sort of like, well, we've all got this territory, yeah. so yeah. Sure, why not? Yeah. And I guess the way that it was justified, it still is justified today, it's just, well, we're just moving them on. We're not saying they can't live anywhere. Mm. We're just saying they have to go somewhere else. There's plenty of room here. Well, you can't really justify that when you hit the California... Well, that's when they start to have the reservations and things, isn't it? They're like, well, we've put that land aside. Oh, I don't, I don't know anything about that. The reservations like these big areas of land that they say are for the Native Americans. Mm. But they're blighted by alcoholism and... Uh... <laughs> casinos. Yeah, cause, yeah cause see, and that's yes. why they have casinos, yeah. because the laws don't apply. Mm. Got it. Tangent. Um... And finally, has a reputation as a jeweller and a fighter. Rumours that he engaged in the many as a hundred duels. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that example I gave you, which was a, guy, a fight with a guy called Charles Dickinson. Um, That's dangerous with, close. And, yeah, Charles Dickinson. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really want to picture him having a duel. No. Um, <laughs> and the twist. Oh. Brilliant point, Oliver. Uh, very good. Love that. Um, the twist is that he kills Dickinson, but he carries that wound throughout his entire life and he carries the bullet. Oh, just the himself. one where he got yeah, shot. Yeah. So, in essence, that's all I've got on Andrew Jackson. Let's go for um, going against the grain. Going against the grain. Well, the bit the banks is probably huge. Mm. Like, massive going against the grain. Like, disrupting the establishment and all that with a... I'm going to call it a house party. The White yeah. House party. yeah. So he's got loads going against Craig. I reckon he's... From what I he, know, can I just give you a few more as well? So he splits the Democratic-Republican Party, yeah, creates the Democrat party, Democratic Party, which is totally different. Uh-huh. First president to really use the veto power, the people's president kind of stuff. Um, and also this idea that he's just a fighter and he fights all yeah. the time for everything. I'll give him a nine. I a think huge nine. He is a, definitely a feather ruffler. Mm. Um, our final bit, which was... Outrageousness slash wildcard factor. Outrageousness slash wildcard factor. I think the dueling comes in a lot to mm, that, definitely. Like, massively. But what, from what you've said about the Native Americans, I think that's that's not really wildcard. No, it? that's it's that's just, more... Um, that's more in keeping. Well, with it's it. outrageous, isn't it, really? You could use outrageous in yeah, the sense yeah, it's yeah. quite horrible. Yeah. Give him a... Give him a... Six. 
six. I think that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, we might revisit that in a while. I think we, we could maybe to. say six or seven, but compared to the others, yeah. Would it surprise you to know that Andrew Jackson is Donald Trump's um, favourite president? It would. It would a bit. Why? Just because, um, again, I'm not having a go at Donald Trump. Yeah, let's, let's save the politics. Yeah. For my other podcast, <laughs> Politics Hour. So, it's just like, Jackson started from nothing, mm. lived in the middle of nowhere. I, I suppose, as an anti-establishment yeah. president, it wouldn't surprise... If I'm being honest, I'm just surprised that Trump knows who he is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Like, like, I mean, he is on the $20 bill. He is on the $20 and bill, and, and Trump would not... The art of the deal. Art of the deal. Um, so, but, that's our first president. Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson. Number one, done. Done. Second president, Millard Fillmore. The man himself. Now, this <laughs> is, I'd say, a controversial choice that I've made here, and you're going to yeah. see why this is a controversial choice. Never heard of him. He is the 13th president. Unlucky number. Yeah. He is president from 1850 to 1853. Three years. His nickname, which gives a hint to why it was only three years, is... His accidency. <laughs> okay, I'm getting there. Yeah, his accidency. Putting things together. So, three key events in his three years, and there aren't many. Mm-hmm. Um, the m- biggest one is um, his role in the 1850 slavery compromise, compromise over slavery, essentially. He insists on federal enforcement of the Fugitive Slave Act, which basically means... Easy for you, so. Federal enforcement of the Fugitive Slave Act, which basically insists that if a slave escapes, uh-huh. every state, whether they're free, which means they don't have slaves, or whether they're slave, which means they do have slaves, has to try and help find that slave oh, and return them. Yeah, so yeah. if a slave escapes from a slave state into a free state where they don't have slavery, that state is still it's still responsible to... to find them and send them back. Yeah. He also destroys his own party, the Whig Party. Okay which was a party at this point. Uh, yeah, I hadn't heard of it. Yeah. Um, and he latches on to an anti-immigrant, anti-Catholic sentiment, which is where the populism comes in. Uh. Let's start with the lack of conventional suitability for the role. A bit like Jackson, he comes from extreme poverty. Love that. What's the big sign of extreme poverty? Where do you think he grew up? Uh, oh, I was going to say the, the barrel that you have to wear. <laughs> um, no, he didn't wear a barrel. So, the sign of extreme poverty at the top. Where did he grow up? In what sort of house? A log cabin. A log cabin, log yeah. Cabin. Very, very poor. He, his family only had one book, which was the Bible. Oh. Um, it wasn't until the age of, I think it was 16, that he got his second book. And he was really concerned with improving himself. And his second book was the dictionary. And for the rest of his life, he carried around the dictionary to improve his vocabulary, okay. wherever he went. Yeah. Um, so he escapes this poverty through the law profession, a little bit like Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, and he begins his political career in 1820 with the anti-Masonic party. Uh, is that good? Uh, so he spreads rumours that ruling Freemasons were, like, murderers. Ruling Freemasons. Are they, like, the stonecutters? Yeah, like the stonecutters. Okay. So, like, a secret club that was in charge of government. Okay, okay. And he was spreading this rumour that they were murdering the whistleblowers, so people that were speaking about it. Oh, got you. So when we think about populism, that's... A key example of the conspiracy theory. Destroying the big Illuminati thing. Yeah, like there's some sort of secret organisation dictating... The lizards. Yeah, the lizards dictating everything. Um, And he wants to get rid of the lizards. Yeah. And their secret handshakes. (laughs) He later joins the Whig Party. Mm Mm-hmm. And the Whig Party is set up... Well, they're quite reasonably popular at this time. But in the context of real dislike and hostility towards refugees because at this time there's lots of famine rebellion and tyranny around the world got it and america is a nation of freedom freedom and a nation of immigrants yeah and on the statue of liberty it says oh give me your poor unshoveled masses yeah yeah give me the worst like the ones yeah you thought they should have yeah. put like give me the half decent no, give me the average but the <laughs> idea the whole premise is like anyone can come to america and yeah. that's the american dream and we'll we'll help you rise yeah in, in this in america in an area of freedom without tyranny mm. without famine without rebellion you will mm. prosper but these refugees are predominantly catholic 
uh-huh. um, and they're embraced by the Democratic Party, but sort of refuted by everyone else. This is where we see, particularly in the, because he's mid nineteenth century, eighteen fifty. Irish potato famine is a really big deal mm, at this time. Mm. Highland clearances in Scotland. So big movement from Scottish and Irish people, which is why there's so many people in America who say, say I'm Irish. I'm Irish. I gotta go to St. Patrick's Day. God loves St. Patrick's Day. It speaks my Irish heritage. Yeah, because uh, someone came over during the Irish sip of Guinness. Yeah. Uh, and that makes them Irish. That makes them Irish. But Fillmore supports and adds to the these sort of fears. Um, that he talks about this oncoming Catholic hordes. So like mm. hordes of Catholics coming over mm. who are going to sort of undermine American power okay. and strike at the heart of government. Yeah. Uh, with American immigration, that they like it in a way because it's like that's like their history. But from my understanding, it's not like they don't like sort of like the swarm coming and taking over, sort of taking over America. And it's like, yeah, and it's that, it's that idea that they want the right kind of... Mm. And there's a phrase used to describe Americans, which is WASP, White Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Ah, okay. And if you're not White Anglo-Saxon Protestant... Yeah, they're not a huge fan. Like Catholics. Yeah, yeah. So it's a really big issue. So Millard Fillmore loses a race for New York governor in 1844. Who does he blame? Catholics. Catholics, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And he said they were corrupting the ballot box. He also said that they were taking American jobs... In 1849, he becomes vice president to Zachary Taylor. Okay. And he only becomes president after Zachary Taylor dies. Mm-hmm. Which is quite... This is why it's quite controversial why I've picked him. Because he's never actually elected. He's not voted in. Mm. Yeah, he's, he's just like... It's like a succession. Yeah. Succession. Succession. It's, a, it's an accident. <laughs> which is why it's, it's his accidency. Oh, I get it. And there's a question of whether does he really count as a populist president if he's never actually been mm. elected in well, i'll have to hear what happens at the end he even says and this almost says suggests that he's not a populist president he says may when he leaves the presidency may god save this country for it's evident the people will not so it almost shows a complete like disparagement dis- yeah, like, distrust like doesn't believe in the american no people. so the manner of his rise will be said as a nickname his accidency mm-hmm and he's only the second man to inherit the presidency after a president's death. Okay. Because that's quite a rare thing to do. Uh, was there one Lyndon B. Johnson? He was one, but I'm talking about second chronologically. Okay, okay. Uh, the other one was John Tyler, who came after William Henry Harrison. Who died in 30 days. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Um, I, th- I thought that was this guy, but then it was like, wait, three years, that's not... No, William Harris Harrison died in 30 days. Because yeah. he made the longest inauguration speech in history. Mm. And they were like, um, it's a bit cold out there. Yeah, you got a uh, Do you want to wear a jumper? And he said, I don't need a jumper. <laughs> he made the longest speech and then he got pneumonia. <laughs> so that's Millard Fillmore's uh, sort of background. Mm-hmm. In terms of his preparation and his lack of suitability for the role... Mm-hmm. How unsuitable in traditional senses would you say it was? More unsuitable than Jackson or less unsuitable than Jackson? I, I'm close to saying more. He didn't have any sort of position mm. before becoming vice president. No, he? not a war hero either. No, not a war hero. Uh, oh, wait, this is the higher it is, the more unsuitable. Higher that, and you gave Jackson a six. I might have to bump Jackson down to a five and mm. give this guy a seven. Okay, five, and this guy is seven out of ten. Mm. I think I'm going to overrule you there. Oh, really? I'm going to say this guy is a nine out of ten. And the reason I'm going to say that is because no other president has come from such a poor, unqualified background. And if you go... Oh, yeah, because he only had the Bible and the dictionary, didn't he? And he's got really no political... Naus, yeah. no support. And if you go on the, the White House website, it does like a profile for each president. Yeah. And they're obviously positive about all of them. And pretty much the only thing they say about Millard Fillmore that's positive is it just shows that anyone can rise to become <laughs> president. Shows that any thick yeah. idiot could, could do it. Um, so I'll, I'll give you that, but don't do it again. No, I will never overrule you again. <laughs> so going against the grain, slash ruffling feathers, we'll have a look at that now. His biographer... 
Paul Finkelman says that when he comes into office, the first thing he does is literally fire his whole cabinet. So all of his advisors are fired. Yeah. And he describes this constant turmoil because you didn't know who was running things from one day to the next. Okay. And he called it kind of like a government by chaos. Okay. Which, you know, I, I don't like to make too many links with the modern day, but we can see how someone like Trump does govern by chaos. But he almost uses it to his advantage in mm-hmm. the sense that you don't know who's running things day to day. And the press don't know who to go to for a statement and things like that. All oh, right, all right. And this is one of the reasons why I picked Fillmore, because there's a BBC article which said that he is the most similar to Trump in many of his ways. Fillmore was an early champion of American commercial expansion in the Pacific. In the Pacific. And this is where I'm going to use your Japanese knowledge. Uh-huh. So in 1853, he sent a fleet of warships under the command of the Commodore Matthew C. Parry. Uh. Have you heard of that? I know, this is the black ships. So tell us more about that, because I've got very limited notes on this. Japan went through a period of, um, I think it was 200 years of isolation. Mm. And during this time, it was very little, like, minimal trade, and they ran sort of like their own tariffs. Yeah. And then the Americans came over, purposely, because Japan was used to, like, little cargo ships. But America came in with these huge jet black ships, mm-hmm. sort of like... East in, east into the coast of all their guns pointing there, and sent like a little ferryman saying, "Is it right if we trade? <laughs> Do you reckon we could get a little situation going?" Because they wanted whale, uh, blubber, like whale blubber, and whale bones. Oh. I oh, think. Okay, yeah. And the Japanese were just forced to trade. There was no. It was called the um, unequal treaty or something like that. Okay. Unequal trade. But it was very like American forced. America like flexed their muscles. So that, yeah, they showed that Japan could no longer exist in yeah. isolation from yeah, the rest yeah. of the world. Yeah, they forced, they said, like, you've got to do it. So I've got none of that, but I've <laughs> got it in, like, I've got it, you've, you've explained it far better than I could have done. Okay. I, it says, the resulting Treaty of Kanagawa, 1854, <laughs> led to similar agreements between Japan and other Western powers and marked the beginning of Japan's transformation into a modern state. Mm. It had to. It had to, um, it became a... Uh, What's it called? When you've got an emperor. Or, uh, autocracy? Autocracy. It, to, it turned from an autocracy from a um, military-run state. Because they just couldn't do it. An autocracy allows foreign trade and expansion. Okay. Yeah. Fillmore, we've got to give Fillmore a little bit of credit for that. Or not potentially credit, but mm. credit in the sense that he did something. It's fair dues. But he was a champion of it. Like, lots of people supported it. Mm. We can't say Fillmore was totally responsible for it. Yeah. His biggest undoing, so his biggest mistake, you could argue, as president, was his support for the Compromise of 1850, which was a pact between slave states and free states oh, yeah, yeah. that pretty much sort of sets the table for a civil war. Yeah. Like, there's going to be a civil war because of this. Mm. Fillmore himself personally opposes slavery, so he doesn't support slavery, okay. but he wants to reduce tensions in the Union. <laughs> That'd do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this really worked wonderfully. Really sorted that problem um, out. Because it's, it's essentially, for want of the best phrase, a black and white issue. Love that. Because <laughs> certain states are, their economy is based entirely on slavery, mm. mainly the southern states. In fact, all the southern the big states. Big sprawling plantations. Yeah. Whereas the northern states, their economies become more diverse and more typically trade-based and capitalist and mm-hmm. based on workers working for things and purchasing goods. Um, and the problem is, is that as America expands westward, mm-hmm. under things like the Trail of Tears and Jackson, the more territory they get, the question is, will that state become a slave state or a free state? Because okay. if one gets too many, mm-hmm. then the balance goes one way and they can overrule the rest yeah okay okay i get it so new states like um new mexico utah california all of these places they're trying to find a way to balance it out Mm -hmm. and say the slave states have got an equal amount to the free states but this is so unsustainable it's ridiculous yeah so his compromise says new mexico and utah to decide the slavery question for themselves so they can make their own mind up okay but what often happened is loads of people from the north were uh, sort of carted in okay. to vote for the North and loads of people in the South carted oh, in to vote for the it. South. Just to bump up the yeah. regions in different areas. Um, California was admitted as a free state. Mm-hmm. It bans the slave trade, mm-hmm. but not slavery, in Washington, D.C. 
So you're not allowed to trade slaves in Washington, D.C., but you're, lo- you're allowed to have slaves. Oh, so you can keep what you got. Yeah, basically. Oh. It settles a Texas border dispute, and it authorises the use of federal officers to capture runaway slaves, which was... So the FBI were working as a sort of... Yeah, or the early, sort of like, proto-beginner FBI. Mm. Everyone working to find the slaves that have escaped in... F- FBI. Yeah. First Federal Bureau of Investigation. And this was pretty much a disaster. He said afterwards, he said... The long agony is over. (laughs) (laughs) These several acts are not in all respects what I would have desired. Yet I am rejoiced at their passage and trust they will restore harmony and peace to our distracted country. Um, It didn't. didn't. And people were furious. And it particularly, obviously, angered African-Americans, particularly free African-Americans in the North. Mm. Um, And one Ohio preacher said... Would not the devil do well to rent out hell and move to United States and rival, if possible, President Fillmore and his political followers? So he's like compared with the devil, yeah, basically. That's pretty much all he does. So a mixed bag. A mixed bag. <laughs> yeah. um, he's denied his party's nomination in 1852. Okay. So he's not going to be able to run for president um, mm. again. He doesn't win. Mm. Obviously, because he hasn't got the nomination. So he quits after his three years as president. And he leads what's called the American Party. Also known as the Know Nothings, which I mentioned right at the beginning. Yes, you did. This populist organisation. Any guesses on why they're called the Know Nothings? Because uh, they're all... Not stupid. Ordinary. Yeah, they're the average... Like, sort of the earth. Sort of the earth. Working hard for the lads. Yeah. Um, but they're like... Um, I guess... Not politi- Not got any political nous. Yeah. They're, they're sort of like people. Well, good guess. Mm, completely um, wrong. Completely. That's what I thought initially, but I had to look it up. Um, it's because if they were ever interrogated, because they considered themselves to be a bit like against the establishment. Oh, okay. So the establishment would interrogate them and say, like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Their response would be... I know nothing. I know nothing. Uh, so they were called the know-nothings because that's what they would say. Got it. At every point. Mm. Their policies, if you were to guess what Millard Fillmore's policies would be. Uh, no more Catholic. Yeah, yeah anti-Catholic, yeah. anti-immigration. He openly encourages racial hatred and bigotry, which is very interesting because he's opposed to slavery. But yeah, that's, that's why. He, it's from an economic perspective, as many of the arguments against slavery at this point were. Mm. And so his sort of big moment is 1855 there's something called bloody monday monday which is where protestant mobs attack german and irish neighborhoods in kentucky um 22 dead so this party isn't greatly successful but i think this is why you can say he's a populist Mm. because he is engaging a huge quantity of the american population in some sort of idea Mm -hmm. not perhaps at the top level but in a way that's comparable to this kind of us-against-them mentality that I mentioned at the beginning. Mm. That's the going-against-the-grain-ruffling-feathers section. <laughs> what would you give him for... Going-against-grain-slash-ruffling-feathers. Yeah. He scores big on this, I feel. Mm. He's, he's definitely... I reckon they would have already hated him because he wasn't voted in. Yeah. Like, the, the people. And, like, firing everyone. Yeah. What did I give old uh, Jackson? You gave him 9 out of 10. Oof. But then Jackson did do more. Jackson did do more. In terms of the actual... Uh, yeah, he, he sort of ruffled feathers, but the minute he left, they all quickly went, back, went back to a down. Yeah. Give him a, give him a seven. Seven out of ten. Yeah. It's always good to reduce history to just pure numbers. <laughs> well, I hate giving sevens out of ten, because that's your throwaway. Yeah, it is. Um, final bit, outrageousness slash wildcard factor. Always big. Um, a few additional facts mm-hmm. to help you with that. He was considered to be very good looking. So Queen Victoria, who was obviously the English monarch at this time, praised him as the handsomest man she had ever met. And big, big. He looks. He looks a bit, and this is what a lot of people have said. He looks a bit like sort of Alec Baldwin. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Another wild card factor: he didn't have a vice president. Oh right. So at this point, you didn't have to appoint a vice president if you had been. Like, if you'd have come as a vice president, like, your president had died and you took over from them. Mm. Only from the 25th Amendment does that change. So only since 1967 do you have to appoint oh, a vice wow, president. Oh, wow, that late. Yeah. Ooh. He was a bibliophile. What does that mean? Uh, he loved Bibles. 
uh, Bible. Where does that come from? The Latin origin of Bible, Biblio. It's in Dodgeball. Lang- Biblioteca. Language? I don't know. Do you not remember that scene in Dodgeball? Biblioteca? Yeah. What's, Where, uh, what's his name? Dwight Goodman. Is that his name? Dwight Goodman? Dwight Goodman. Oh, is oh, is it like the love of words or something? Yeah, books. Books. Oh. So, despite only having uh, a Bible when he was younger and then mm. a dictionary, he always read books after the age of 16, essentially. Okay. Um, he started the Presidential Library in the White House, and there's a report that in December 1851, there was a, a blaze of fire at the Library of Congress, mm-hmm. um, and he actually ran out to try and stop the fire, like to help the fire brigade put it out because he loved books so much. And then he signed a bill to fund the replacement of all the books that had been destroyed. Okay. So there are some wild card uh, features Features. about it. Just just before you do it, there was a statement made, and this is one of the most famous statements about Fillmore. The American Heritage magazine said, um, to, to discuss Millard Fillmore is to overrate him. So no one likes him, really, do they? Everyone hates they him. They think he... Well... Except for Queen Vic. Yeah. <laughs> but my argument would be that he seems in many ways to touch upon that populism that's not yet fully formed, that will come back in later oh, days. Okay, okay. Anti-immigration, mm. isolationist, mm. America first. These ideas at this point aren't particularly popular. It's very strange to be so hated for all of that. And at that yeah, yeah, when really that is now a very popular yeah. mainstream position. So on his wild card factor. Wild card factor. Outrageousness. I'm going to give him... Remember you gave Andrew Jackson six. I think he's more than Andrew Jackson. Really? Yeah. Why? On the wild card factor. Andrew Jackson jeweled with people. He yeah, hit people with a stick. Yeah, but he was, of, he was of that era, wasn't he? I'm sure everyone was jeweling. Yeah, but so is Millard Fillmore. They're not that far apart. Are they not? Jackson was the seventh president. Fillmore was the thirteenth. Yeah, but like with Fillmore, it's like um, what was he doing? Firing everyone every day and like getting them back. The government by chaos, I suppose. Okay, yeah. As a while, he's less predictable. He's less predictable. And in fact, people said about Jackson that while he was very angry, Mm. many people argued that he used that as a tool to Mm. control people, and he could control his anger and use it exactly like the hairdryer treatment kind of stuff. Yeah, like Jackson would be like. You wouldn't mess with him, but if you walked past him, you'd know how to behave. Yeah. This guy, I think if you gave him the wrong look, he'd sort of... He'd either hug yeah. you or shoot you. I'll give him... Give him a seven. Seven out of ten. Okay. Another cop-out. It's not a cop-out. And on that dud note of copping out is where the first part of this episode of Repeat Until Funny must end. The second part of James's and my conversation which on repeat listen, I must admit, bears more resemblance to a siege than a conversation. Uh, The second part of that conversation on populist presidents will come out maybe next Wednesday. Um, I'm sure uh, there'll be a popular campaign for it to come out sooner, but uh, too much of a good thing and all of that. We're going to look at the final populist president that I selected. We're going to make some tentative conclusions on the lessons that we can learn from history Then I'm going to quiz James on what he can remember. Hopefully it should be relatively interesting, depending on what it's relative to. Other than that, all the best uh, and bye. Bye.